Hey everyone, welcome to the Lane Foundations podcast. This is your co-host Davis Hambrick. Joining alongside me today is Walker Lott. What's up, Walker? What's up, Davis? How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, as you can see, I'm repping my building science hat today. Oh yeah, yeah. ran out of hats. I got you that same cut- hat. You can kind of see I got some hair right here. Those hats don't fit on my head, so I really can't wear those that often. Yeah, you got a, head I got a big hair. old head. But man, today was awesome. Uh, we got Brian O'Neill, part two. So Brian is uh, executive director. I'm pretty sure that's his title for Third Lens. He's president um, now. President now. Yeah. So uh, Brian runs Third Lens. He's awesome. Uh, incredible dude. Just a ton of wisdom pouring out from him. It just has a heart for the Lord. And he just wants to pour into people and. By doing that, he pours into projects uh, that help other people. And, you know, Third Lens is an incredible organization. I know, Davis, you interned for him, so you could probably speak better than me. But basically what fill in the gaps, what I miss, you know, Third Lens uh, does program management for, for churches and for organizations that don't know how to, to, to do construction. You know, a lot of churches in the world uh, have never built a building before. They never designed and had to do the whole permitting and had to do the the actual construction of the process and the closeout and getting things ready for people to actually move into it. And so what they found a lot was, you know, churches would do projects and, and not a fault of their own, you know, just inexperience that some of those projects would sit vacant for, for a long time because they just didn't have the experience to know how to finish it. And so third lens filled that gap. They solved that problem. They came in and said, Hey, let us do that for you. And that's exactly what they do. So all over the world, Thirdlands is building uh, just these awesome buildings for for people who need it, and they're filling this need, this this huge need. Uh, and it's it's incredible. I, I really love what Thirdlands does, and I'm very excited and, and proud and humbled to be a part of the industry advisory council and get to know a little bit more about them and what they do, and and that you and I get to play a small part in the organization. Yeah. Well, Third Lens, you know, their tagline is uh, this is where construction and design intersects ministry. And so they're obviously a faith based organization, but they also they serve people that aren't have any faith or they might be a different faith. And so mm-hmm. who they're serving in any given year changes. But um, obviously, with the faith base, we're hoping that um, in this process, as they pursue excellence, as they try to build a team, as they're looking out for the owner, um, they get to share the light they get to share the light of Jesus and so um, I love what they do obviously I was a part of as an intern and I got to learn a lot you know I volunteered my time and there's a time where I got to serve but man it was so worth it when you think it's it's weird I'm gonna get into something else there's nothing to do with the podcast but I just this popped in my head it's so weird how the things in life that you spend like a good amount of time and you didn't want to do it and it's something that's tough man you get the most reward from it like yep. I spent time you know in school, you know, I was paying for my school. Um, I was paying for everything I do. So I already had a job I was doing in building science. I was trying to date uh, a girlfriend at the time. And now my fiance was good job, Davis. But then I also tried to serve and like just the I had a lot going on, but I, you know, God put on my life. I need to get connected again. I, like I was just doing everything for Davis. And so good, that man. started to change and that serving that took time. It did. It took time. I didn't want to give, but Man, that servant, I got to learn so much. I got to meet uh, an amazing guy, Brian O'Neill. I got to be a part of the team and seen it grow. Like, seriously, Brian was the only guy on staff at that point. He was the only paid guy on staff. The dude's just grown. I mean, just an amazing guy. Someone that um, whenever he's at the helm of third lens, they're going to be moving and shaking and and doing stuff. They already are, man. It's awesome. And it's just unbelievable where he's taking it. And, I mean, I'm just so excited for them. Like you said, we get to serve on serve on the 
industry advisory council in a different role. Um, I don't know why I asked this, but hey, we're going to try it. <laughs> Me neither, but I'm pumped for it. So. <laughs> be the two young guys that help bring a different perspective, but we're just extremely humble, um, thankful for everything Brian does. And guys, we hope this podcast um, shows you what it takes to be an owner, not just to, to start a project, but to completely get through it. Um, it's more of an educational piece, but um, just had a great time getting to talk to a guy that knows a lot about this. Perfect. Without further ado, Brian O'Neill. Brian, welcome to the show. Part two. Excited to have you on again. <laughs> we get to dig into a little bit of a different topic than we did the first time, which is going to be the owner side. But just to start off with, do a quick recap. We know you're from Auburn, uh, but who are you? What do you do? And I am used to asking where are you from, but we just said that. So who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, Brian O'Neill. Uh, I am the president of Third Lens Ministries. Uh, we're an Atlanta-based nonprofit that helps other nonprofits and faith-based organizations with uh, their project needs. Uh, for those that aren't uh, familiar with Third Lens, uh, we uh, we were started 13 years ago with a, a vision to to really solve two problems. The first was that we noticed that nonprofits were struggling with you know, construction and even going back into the design process and how to acquire land. And um, so we were trying to figure out how do we do construction in the mission field differently than it had been done before. And then concurrently at the time, you know, uh, most of my friends and guys that were kind of early involved in Third Lens were in our late 20s, early 30s, young families, you know, growing um, either businesses or professionally, you know, we were you know, making steps up the corporate ladder. Um, and where we were trying to do service, we kind of were being pigeonholed into, you know, go on a short-term mission trip and serve on a construction team or, you know, locally serve on a, you know, a build project, but be on the construction team. And um, not everybody in our profession and uh, in particular, you know, um, in the AEC space, you know, swings a hammer every day. And that my, my conviction was that that wasn't necessarily the best and highest use of God-given talent. And so as we were trying to individually and then, you know, as we were coming together uh, with vision around what third lens could be, um, we found out that, that both the problems solve one another. And so for, you know, the past decade plus, we've tried to be that platform that connects professionals in our industry. So contractors, architects, engineers, real estate developers, project managers with these faith-based projects across the world. Some of them are in our backyard. Um, some of them are halfway around the world. And, and so the volunteerism can actually help those partners that we have with uh, their going through every step of the process to get to completion. And then, you know, hopefully those environments are where, you know, children and families and communities receive, you know, improved health care, education, community development. Um, we've ventured into human trafficking the last several years, um, working in economic development, refugee resettlement, you name the major causes of the Big C Church. And, and we're pretty much have had a project or actively working on uh, projects. So yeah, that's what we do. We're uh, Since the last time I was on the call, I think we've added about five new staff members, which is is really awesome. exciting. Um, you know, geographically, we've, we've got uh, Africa, particularly Eastern Africa, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, has been a hotbed for us. And, and now we have uh, one staff member on the ground, um, uh, Alan Mwangi. He's a, a Kenyan architect that we worked with in the past, and now we've we've brought him in-house. Um, and then we have uh, a volunteer who's hopefully going to join us on staff in the next couple of months, um, Blake Oliver. He's um, he's actually in-country, has been for the last couple of months, and, and is helping on a couple of projects over there. 
Um, and then Central South America, the Caribbean, and, and the United States are where the rest of our, our projects are located. So for those that didn't hear the first two uh, episodes I was on, um, that's uh, that's our elevator pitch. That's what we do. And um, yeah, excited to be on here again with two guys that have um, both seen the inside and the outside of, of Third Lens, uh, you know, Walker being a part of a service learning class project, and then um, Davis uh, being an intern with us and working on the service learning project. So again, sure. can't be prouder of both of you for what you've done in this platform that you've created to engage younger and, and older fellows like us and, and the ladies <laughs> in, uh, in our industry That's in right. uh, diving into not just sharpening um, ourselves uh, professionally, but also um, having the deep conversations about how do we integrate our faith into mm. the marketplace. That's good. I appreciate that. I don't know if we deserve that, but we'll definitely take it. Brian, I like what you said. You said a few things and you finally got my brain going. I, that was my fault at the beginning, <laughs> but we'll cut that out. But well, I love what you said. What Walker, what he said was he talked about how swinging hammer just wasn't swinging hammer wasn't just the best use of God given talent. Man, that's so amazing because you think about the construction industry and some of these huge companies, what they can do planning wise, just on the front end to get a job done and to think that, you know, just for me personally, you know, I was going on mission trips and the most thing I thought about serving was just swinging a hammer, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But whenever you kind of just bootstrap and make a third lens ministry what it is today, it's pretty cool to think about, you know, that's where the idea came from. So I love that. But then the other thing that I love was if I can get real vulnerable here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all a story. So the first time I met Brian O'Neill was in the AGC meeting. You know, I was still young. I think God was fine. Like, well, he wasn't finally, but I was finally pursuing him like I should have. Um, and I was starting to get the ball rolling my faith life. And so in this meeting, and the agency meeting, Brian gets up, you know, I want to get involved. We're talking about third lens and we're getting voted into the AGC chapter and no one voted for me on anything. And Brian was just sitting there just like, and then I went up to him after the meeting and uh, introduced myself, you know, just swallowed my pride and talked to him. And he was like, well, Hey man, you know, we'll get you involved. Like, and ever since then I've been involved with Brian in some type of way, but for me, I got to learn a great deal. You know, we kind of mentioned this beforehand, but for me, I got to learn so much about the ownership side of construction. You know, the part mm. that we don't ever get to see. We get to see the eyes of, uh, well, maybe not. We just get to see how the project's built, but we don't get to see the processes, the planning, what it takes to get the point that, that we finally have a set of plans. Like that process in itself is long, the multiple years for some projects. And I just thought, you know, owners just pay you. That's it. They don't do anything. They don't, they don't think about stuff. Like what do they really do? They just sit in the office and come out every two weeks. Like, do they really do anything? Yeah, they do a lot of planning. So today really is going to be focused on what does the owner do before we get to construction? Kind of how do we understand what they're doing, but help them in that process? Because as you know, Walker, you're in the engineering design size design side and we're getting closer and closer to that ownership and construction to where we're helping them on earlier and earlier so i say all that so brian walk me through try to just break it down i guess we'll just go broad base and then kind of dive into it but what is it like on the owner side what are some of the common things the construction people don't see that the owners do yeah no that's that's a that's a great question um because that's what you know the the technical term for for the service that we provide to to our ministry partners is program management, and so as you look at the breakdown between program management, construction management, owners representation, and then get into true 
project management and and on into the layers of of construction. Um, you know, yeah, the the genesis of a project could happen years in advance of actually breaking ground. Right. And um, you know, the the work that we're doing in program management is not dissimilar to you know what HPM and and other large firms do for their clients. Um, we just have kind of the idiosyncrasies of of working with. Um, nonprofit leaders and uh, church pastors and, and and then their teams and their advisory boards and, and whatnot. So, you know, um, at a high level, uh, really execution, we break down as the third of three steps. Um, the, the first two uh, for us are, um, we call a phase one being a project launch. That's our terminology. We've kind of branded it around that, but that's that's a minimum four to six months that we spend with the owner. Um, walking through uh, the various stages of, you know, doing uh, an in-house feasibility study. Um, so what capacity does the organization have to take on a project? And it may be that they have immense capacity. They've got financial resources. They've got infrastructure. You know, in, in a lot of our projects, we're trying to make sure that, you know, if we build this, do you have not just the financial wherewithal to build the building, but do you have the financial wherewithal to staff it and to operate it? And so, you know, with my banking background, a lot of times we're having those early conversations of, and, I, and, and to be honest with you, the second project that we were ever looking at doing was in Nicaragua. Yeah. We actually flew to Honduras to do the grand opening celebration of our, our wellness clinic in Waspadani, Honduras. And um, then we got on a plane to Nicaragua uh, to go to Nicaragua and landed there and met with this group. And they were doing amazing work in this community. Um, and they were running a school and just the impact it was, uh, was, was palpable. Um, but then, you know, they're having a, uh, an internal conversation about opening up a medical clinic. And so, yeah, we walked them through our process of, you know, um, you know, programmatically kind of laying out space, spatial needs, what their expressed desires for the, the building would be. But then we started to ask them questions about like, all right, so who on your staff is a medical professional? Well, We'll, we'll hire some nurses and some doctors and well, okay, well, uh, where would you find them? And, and then what's, what's medical care like in Nicaragua and, oh, well, the government runs it all and they have hospitals and, but they, mm-hmm. they don't. And so as we started going down this path, right. you know, the, their U S board had asked us to, you know, do the site visit, you know, we came back and we said, Hey, we're interested in doing the project, but here's some big questions that we have that you might want to think about. And uh, they had a subsequent board meeting, came back to us and like, hey, thank you so much. We're not ready for this. And um, and, and so sometimes we have to ask the hard questions that kind of, yeah. you know, and, and we're a nonprofit. So we're not there necessarily for the work. We're not trying to, to get the right. deal to, you know, financially improve our organization. But um, we want to ask those hard questions on the front end to make sure that they've you know, at least counted everything that's going to, it's going to take to get the project going. So, you know, doing a feasibility study um, for, for nonprofits, there's also fundraising professionals that'll do those. Um, a lot of churches engage them to understand, and it helps us too um, on the back end um, to know what their budget is. So your traditional for-profit, you know, if you're working for a hospital system, you know, they will have look, hopefully gone through and, you know, talk to the bank, talk to their board and identified, okay, we've, 
we, for this medical center, we're going to have $25 million. That's kind of our all in budget. So we want to make sure that we're, we're working towards a budget, not just throwing a number out there that may be really scary or, you know, would cause us to have to do some significant scope cut or value engineering. So, um, at that point, once we've answered all of our preliminary questions, then we start to engage design. And uh, as a program manager, the, the design team answers to us on behalf of the owner. So we're taking those meetings and we're helping walk the owner down that path of, okay, let's, let's do a space program. You know, what, how many, I'm going to use a hospital as an example, because we do those and for-profit companies, but you know, how many beds do you need? What, what services are you going to provide? How many operating rooms do you need? You know, um, you know, geographically where, if they haven't picked out land, then we've got to talk about geographically, where do you want to be in, in the community, in the County? Mm. Um, And really, and, and so out of that, you know, process, the design team in, you know, in that charrette, you know, really starts to work on a conceptual design. And um, it may just be, you know, a a floor plan and some renderings of of what it might look like. But it is enough that we can partner with our contracting team um, to look at a a preliminary budget, even if it's just historic data, um, you know, with some economies of scale due to inflation or whatever material cost changes, you know, at least to try to target a number and then at that point, you know, if the if the owner is happy with, you know, the layout, the art, artistic renderings of the building and where the budget stands, then we're going to solidify about a 50 line item budget. So we're also um, trying to educate and we do a ton of educating. If you've got a client that's never built anything, right. um, you know, you, you just have to do some handholding and and telling them ahead of time, here's what's going to happen can save you so much heartburn on the back end. Um, and so, yeah, so that budget, um, you know, it's not just the construction line item. It's here's all of the design fees, permitting cost, land acquisition, closing cost, um, interest carry if there's a loan, whatever. We're trying to account for every little bit, not to just inflate this budget, but we're trying to make it as realistic po- as possible. And right now we're putting a minimum 10% contingency on, on some of these numbers. Um, because material costs continue to, idea. yeah, I mean, in, 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 and in some cases, depending upon what country we're, we're working right. in, you know, we may put 20 or 30% on there because, you know, we think it's bad here in the States. Well, over there with fluctuation in exchange rates of mm-hmm. currency, and then the ability to find materials, they're actually, you know, kind of on the lower end of that slippery slope. Right. Brian, that's really good. I lo- I know Walker, you got something to say, but you know, it's so important here, guys, to get yourself out of your own shoes and put yourself in someone else's perspective. Because when you think about all the stuff Brian just mentioned, you can brush by it really quickly. But man, think about everything that he listened to, uh, listed Walker until he finally got the conceptual yep. design. And then, okay, now we can just give our contractor something to start with. You know, so all that work getting into it is a lot of work. And, you know, y'all do a great job making it four to six months, but on a scope, on a project like Walker and I, you know, when it, when you're doing it for a profit, it could take years. And just to yeah. think that y'all do so much more than just the basic uh, owner, because you're looking out for that owner. Obviously, it's a ministry partner, but man, I just think it's huge. I think it's cool that that you really just mentioned all that. And Walker, what did you have to say? Well, one thing, you know, this wasn't from what he just said, it, Brian. This is from what you said on our IAC meeting that really struck me. But you were talking about the fundraising aspect of it, and what you said was. 
that y'all start fundraising, but you're not going to start building until you're hundred percent funded. And because you yeah. want to be good stewards of what you do. And that struck me hard because I mean, you know, in all this, you're doing all this work that, that other companies do for profit, but at the same time you're doing it under the, under the, the leadership or under the, uh, uh, the look of like, this is for, this is the Lord's this is not ours. Mm-hmm. It, you know, this is not for profit. This is not for a company. This is for the Lord to have his hand in something overseas in the, in the States. And in order for us to steward that correctly, it starts with being financially stable, which is something I think that a lot of people might look at it and say, well, you know, if, if it truly is, is that way, then the Lord will provide. Why don't you just, why don't you just start building and, and wing it when you go? And it's like, well, you know, I've, part of being a good steward is not having that mindset of having the mindset of like this, this is for a reason, but I want to manage it as best as I can. And part of that is having the right people on it. Part of it is having the right conversations. Part of it is having the right financial budget. Like you said, contingency is a huge thing, especially now because prices are skyrocketing in everything. Right. Stainless yeah. nickel, they closed the they closed the trading on nickel last week, which means that stainless steel right now for us is skyrocketed in price as well. And yeah. and so I, I don't know, you know, I, I didn't really have a, a a point necessarily for that, but that's something that struck me huge when you talked about it because you just don't you don't hear that often nowadays. People want to go out there and, and blow it and blow their budget and and just try to make it up at the end and not figure it out to where y'all are very good at planning ahead at planning for things that are unseen because one you have experience and it takes experience to do that but two you you have the the faith and you have the trust that if if you can handle it well in the beginning then it's going to turn out okay in the end and there's stuff that comes up over time and everything else but going back to the owner side of it what what's the timeline you know because for us like Davis mentioned it slightly a little bit at the end, but for us, you know, it could be two years before we even start thinking about breaking ground for some projects. You know, what is it for y'all when you go from idea conceptual stage to breaking ground on a new project, you know, typically how long does that take for you in the fund fundraising aspect of it? And, Cause it fundraising for a nonprofit is not just unique. You know, it's, more than nonprofits have to fundraise for projects. So, yeah, no, I, I'd say, you know, if, if funding happens fairly quickly, you know, that first four to six months is project launch. And I didn't even dive into like land acquisition, you know, right. ordering surveys, doing, um, you know, perk tests, doing soil samples, environmental reports. Um, so that, that could be another, you know, 90 to 180 days, yeah. Um, to, to get a piece of property locked up, depending upon size and the uh, the intricacies of, of the deal. But yeah, I mean, I, I'd say on average about six months on the front end to really get to that that preliminary budget number for project mm-hmm. launch. For us, fundraising is, is a huge variable. Um, we've got some you know organizations that have the ability to raise funds very, very quickly. Um, so it could be, you know, just a couple months, but there's others, it could be a year or two before yeah. they um, you know, truly feel like they, they've got enough, uh, enough funding to, to move to the next stage. Um, and, and so the way we've done it is we don't move design forward until they, 
you know, we start hitting some benchmarks in fundraising. So for us, we've kind of just loosely said, you know, you have commitments of 50% of the funds or it's in the bank. And then we'll take that SD set and truly push it forward into due diligence. I mean, sorry, design development, DD, and, you know, recruit and bring in the, the, the engineering team. Yep. And then depending upon where a project lands geographically with permitting. So if it's in city of Atlanta, I'm probably when they hit the 50% funding mark, I'm going to go ahead and run hard and fast to get to construction drawings because it could take me another year to get the wow. project permitted. Hmm. And, but I mean, if then I've got another project that it's full, it's already fully funded because they, they have the, they have the borrowing capacity and the, they have the, the cash. So we're going to do six months of due diligence. Then we're going to do three months of getting the construction drawings finalized, making selections, getting those drawings permit ready. And then we're anticipating, you know, around 60 to 90 days of permitting process. This, this project's in Oplake, Alabama. And then at that point, after a, approximately a calendar year, we'll be ready to begin wow. construction. It'll, it'll be about an eight or nine month build. Um, thankfully, the client, uh, the ministry partner doesn't have to be out of their existing building until two years. So we've got some wiggle room in there. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, fast tracking a large project you know, two years minimum. Um, but yeah, if, if there's, if there's a lengthy fundraising time, it could be three or four or five years before Crazy. that vision becomes that, that true physical okay. structure. Well, what a lot of people don't realize and what I didn't realize was that time, you know, my naive self younger years thought that, well, if you have an idea for a project, you just start designing the, the building Bye. and you start, you know, making the plans and then you start getting the permits and going, but no, it is a, it is a process. process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's yep. something that I never realized until I started getting into the industry, into learning about the owner's side, learning about our side, because design build works closely with the owner in the beginning too. That just blows my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's the, the thought that goes into every step of that process it's if you skip steps, if you push it too hard, that's where the big mistakes get made. Mm, that's good. You know, you don't get the the boring samples um, in the proper place because you, you were using an old version of a site plan or you just sped past it. And next thing you know, you have, you know, unsuitable soils or yeah. you don't spend enough time going through the drawings with the contractor. That's something that we're trying to focus on heavily on our team is, is to make sure let's not blow past and just bid drawings and then have the, the contractor later find out, oh, well, there's this conflict in the drawing or there's, you know, we didn't pick up that detail. Yeah. I'd rather us sit down and have a, you know, a day long, let's get a bunch of coffee and, you know, roll out all the plans on a table yeah. and, and make sure um, that you guys fully, and, and, and some projects are, are much easier, there's less detail, but even on the complicated ones, um, it does nobody any good for there to be this huge bus that puts the GC in financial distress, which puts the owner in financial distress, and, and everybody's looking at each other saying, hey, why didn't we catch this? Or we've had things that have, had we done, a um, even in permitting, if we had done a constructability review, it's like, man, we probably would have caught that or we 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 could have presented a solution that we could have fixed in the drawings before we went in. And then it caused six months of delays 
um, because it got caught up in the rigmarole of of review. And um, so, yeah, I think, Walker, you mentioned the design build process. I mean, we're trying to create that integrated team as early as possible. And I know you guys on your side, you, 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 as much as you can get away from hard bids, the better are the owners of your companies. We we really don't do hard bids. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of, a lot of GCs that are blessed with a lot of work are are saying, Hey, I'm, I I don't want to, there's not enough time in in the day to to chase work like that. But as much as, as we can create an integrated team early, then it truly becomes a team and we can walk through and there's, there's, moments in time where I have to raise my hand and said, you know what, that's on me. I didn't clearly let the owner know that we couldn't, you know, mm-hmm. tie into the existing water meter. We had to create a new, you know, things like that, that I should have caught and brought to their attention. But then other times, you know, we're 90% of the way through construction and the, the owner's like, well, why didn't I know about that? Man, you've had the drawings in front of you for two years. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's times where the contractor has to say, you know what, Hey, that's on me and we'll eat it. And so when it becomes a collaborative effort and everybody's got skin in the game, I think that's in the best interest of the owner, um, to, to get them to the finish line financially, um, close strong on the project where there's not a bunch of change orders. There's not a bunch of busts. And, um, and at the end of the day, you know, we're all shaking hands and truly not faking, a grand opening celebration yeah. where we're actually all together celebrating saying we couldn't have done it without the other person. Thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast today. We cannot tell you how thankful we are for every single one of our listeners. And we genuinely want to know and learn about you a little bit more. So if you're interested, uh, maybe sending us a question or just saying, Hey, or wanted to talk to us a little bit, please reach out to us at contact at laying foundations.com. If you need, if you didn't hear that, didn't understand it, you can go in our show notes and just click on the link and write us an email, please. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Seriously, me and Davis get excited every single time we get an email from one of our listeners. It, it, it genuinely makes our day. But if you want to find out a little bit more about us uh, via social media, Davis is going to tell you a little bit how to do that. Yeah, thanks, Walker. Guys, like Walker said, reach out to us any way you can. We appreciate feedback, whether you like it or not. You know, it helps us grow in any way. We're welcome. We're, we're here to listen. And whenever you guys tell us, we're going to try to implement that into our strategy. But how to get in contact with us on social media. We have a LinkedIn account called the Lang Foundations Podcast. We have uh, Walker, Walker Lott's LinkedIn profile. We have Davis Hambrick LinkedIn profile. We have a TikTok page called Lang.Foundations. We have an Instagram page, Lang Foundations. And then, you know, that's where we're at. These are all down in the in the show notes. But, guys, we just want to put this out there and – However you want to get in contact with us, we're, we're, we're imploring you, please just reach out to us. We'll respond. We'll get back to you. And we want to hear from you. That, that You're the reason, one of the reasons why we're doing this. We want to hear from you. We want to hear feedback. How can we grow and how can we get better? Because like we said before, um, receiving accountability and receiving feedback is one of our core values. And that defines Walker and I at our core. We want to hear your feedback. And we want to be, be held accountable.